You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. We're going to look at Mark 12. This is the second, uh, second message in this series. And we are going to be in verse 38, going all the way through 44. Let's listen to God's word. Verse 38, Mark 12. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like gatherings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive their greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his his disciples to him and, and said to them, Truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, use this word to teach us, to train us, to change us from the inside out. We need you, God. Let your spirit make this come alive to us in new ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, there's, this, uh, there's a company. It's called Bungalow. I don't know if you're familiar with Bungalow, but they're relatively new, and they're trying to as all tech companies are these days, they're trying to streamline a process. This process that they're trying to streamline is the house buying process. Uh, It is something everybody has to deal with in one way, shape, or form. And so Bungalow has come up and they're trying to uh, make this process a little bit easier. And they offer these like massive, you know, 160 point inspections. And something they did last month for October was they put in an inspection to see if your house was haunted. They, if you thought your house that you wanted to buy was potentially haunted, they would bring in their their Ghostbusters and and they uh, they would send them in and give an inspection and they had different tools to make it work, included like a blinking stuffed bear, a spirit box, a spirit pod, and, you know, they considered themselves, they had very scientific ways to making sure. And if you found that the house had any sign of ghosts or haunting, they would bring in their specialist to, to cleanse it, purify it, and you'd get a certificate saying, you know, this house is clear. And they were doing it for free in the month of October. This was like their contribution to Halloween. They did this inspection um, for uh, prospective home buyers. And... Uh, it's really fascinating that this, this industry is, you know, the, kind of the paranormal world is, is actually a $2 billion industry right now. It's unbelievable. And so Bungalow does this. If you feel like you need your house checked out, there's, there is a place to go. And I, I bring it up because I, I think there, there's something, you know, we laugh about it and, and it is funny to some degree, but we, we all do this. We, we look, we're looking for peace of mind. We're looking for something that is genuine. We, we often just want to make sure everything is right. All the, 
the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, all the insurances are, are put into place, all the inspections and, and the certificates, before we dive in, before we give of ourselves, we're fearful of getting taken advantage of, right? No one likes to be tricked. We, we can't really believe a lot of what we see. If you're looking for something on Craigslist or on OfferUp, you know, you'll see this picture of a table or whatever, and it looks beautiful, and the price is so low, and you're like, oh, man, I'm going to go and get that, and you show up, and it's just not at all what the picture looked like. And we know that pictures can be changed, and people are often out to get us, and, and it pushes us back, we become cynical and we don't want to trust anybody and we, it, it, we start holding back. And it's hard for us to go all in and this happens in lots of areas, right? Not just buying houses, but in our jobs, in our relationships, in our church experience. We're constantly fighting this, I, 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 I want to hold back, I, I don't want to go all in, something is holding me back, and God is calling us to something different, see, he doesn't, he doesn't want us treating him this way, and he doesn't want us treating one another this way. God doesn't want us holding back, and so, you know, already, like, you've heard things happening today, you've heard about Haiti, you, you hear you know, us talk about giving and offering, and you, 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 you start to hear me talk about relationships or jobs, and immediately, man, things are starting to trigger in your own heart, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, some of this is off limits, Adam. We don't want to talk about this. But this is what I want to help us with, because God is calling us to something bigger, something different. God doesn't want us holding back. He doesn't want us living in fear. He wants us to exercise faith, and he wants us to dive in. And, and that's why we're going through this, this series, this never enough, saying we live in a world of scarcity. There's always a place where we can say, I don't have enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time, patience. I don't have enough friends. I don't have enough love. I don't have whatever it is. And so I, therefore, because I don't have that, I can't live the way God has wants me to live or the way I want to live. And I so want to push back against that to say, God calls us to be thankful and joyful and, and engaged in the scarcity Not wait until it's all there and then jump in. And hopefully you can start seeing some of the parallels to the story I just read today. I think this passage helps. I think this passage gives us a story of faith that is powerful. This woman who is experiencing the most extreme scarcity in her life exercises an amazing amount of trust And Jesus highlights her moment. Jesus highlights her story, and he says, listen, you need to pay attention to this. There's something special here. He doesn't give us a lot of instruction. He doesn't say, like, hey, you all need to go do exactly like her. But he is highlighting something for us in this woman's life. This is an important moment 
of faith that we get to look in on and ask ourselves some questions like, what does this mean for my life? And I believe that if we listen to this very challenging story that it could drastically change our lives. It could drastically change the way that we live every single day and the way that we make decisions and the way that we engage with people and our jobs and, and our church and our faith. See, Mark 12, this is a, it, just to give a little background, this is a pretty powerful chapter in this particular book of the Bible in the, uh, in the Gospel of Mark. This is... This chapter has Jesus talking about the great commandment that, you know, we, we love the Lord and we love others with everything that's in us. And Jesus is in some interesting conversations back and forth with different people, large crowds, small crowds. And this is actually the last of his public teachings is in Mark 12. And he starts off in our passage by saying, he says, beware of the scribes. He says, beware of the scribes. And in Jesus' day, there were two main religious groups. There were the Sadducees and there were the Pharisees. The Sadducees would have been considered more of the liberal group. Uh, they had different beliefs, some of the different beliefs than the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like the conservatives. They were the law people. And within the group of the Pharisees, there was this subgroup called the scribes. And the scribes were the experts in law. They knew it all. They were the shepherds. They were the pastors. They were the ones that were supposed to know God more than anyone. And Jesus starts here saying, beware. And if you know anything about Jesus's ministry, this is the group of people he bewared about all the time. Jesus is out making friends with tax collectors and with adulterers and adulteresses, and he is engaging with people who would have been outcasts and would have been left aside, and with all the religious people that were supposed to know God so well, he's saying, you have to watch out for them because there's something wrong. There's some deficiency in their faith, in their life. And as a pastor, <laughs> talking about this, saying, we have to beware. He's saying, these are the guys that were the shepherds. They were supposed to be the protectors, the caregivers. And he's saying, you need protection from the protectors. You need protection from these, these people who are supposed to love you and take care of you. And, and the question is, well, why? Why is he saying that? And you, you see it in that long scripture. As he describes what they were like. He says they're fake. It's all, the word is in there, pretense. It's all a show to make themselves, to make them look great and holy and to put other people in subjection to them. And so you see some of these things, they, they walk around in long robes and they like greetings in the marketplaces, best seats, places of honor. See, they would wear these long robes and the robes actually got longer as years went on as, the, as this group became more powerful. It was, they, they didn't always have these full length robes, but they, to show how holy they were, they had these long robes with tassels and they would get the best seats in the temple and actually they imagine you all sitting on the floor and me and the others sitting up here on chairs. That's what it was like. 
they would face the congregation in the temple and the, co the congregation would be on the floor and they would be in the best seats. They would sit on the chairs. So you can be thankful for chairs that you have. When a scribe walked down the street, it was expected for everybody to rise and greet them. That's why you see that. They like the greetings in the marketplaces. And they weren't wealthy on their own. They needed the donations from the worshipers. They needed to get paid because of their holiness. They expected something in return. And it says they prayed out loud in the streets just so that it could look like they loved God. And then there's that one line, they devoured widows' houses. They were con men. A widow was one of the most vulnerable in all society. And so the, the scribes would come and say, hey, let me help you. Let me help you uh, settle this account. Let me help you with the house here. Let me... And then in the end, they, would, uh, they took all the money and put the widow in an even more compromised situation. So Jesus is saying, look out. Look out for these guys. They, they're very visible. You're going to see them, and you need to be extra careful with them because they are not the real deal. And what he, what he highlights through that is that outward expression is worthless if inward devotion isn't there. Outward expression without inward devotion is worthless. Say one more time, outward expression without inward devotion is worthless and it's dangerous. So Jesus paints this picture of the scribes as you need to be aware of these guys. And then immediately the next conversation we see, the next scene that Mark paints for us is, is at the temple. They're, they're standing in front of the temple. They're looking at what's going on in what's called the court of women. This is where the temple treasury was. And this is where women and children could actually come and worship. And so there's this scene. And let me just tell you about the temple. The temple was a wealthy place. Okay? This would have had, a, it was a dumping ground for money and wealth. It had priceless artifacts, curtains, and worship vessels, gold, solid gold. This was a big, big building. Rich people would come and put their money in there, almost like a bank, because they felt like, well, this is a sacred place. No one's going to steal from it. The temple became a place where they would store crops and store materials like flour and wine and incense. The temple became a place where dues were paid, taxes were exchanged. Huge money, huge money. And we're introduced to this woman. Literally, it's described as one poor Widow, And we see this scene, the widow comes up in the, in the court of women in the treasury and they had, you know, offering boxes where you could put your money in and there's just rich people coming up and just dumping, you know, they are making it rain in this place with money and they're loud and, and, and they want it to be seen. And here is this poor widow who is already compromised in her state, uh, 
and how she is seen and perceived. And she comes, and Jesus watches this scene, and she comes with these two coins. And we don't know exactly how he saw what was in her hand or maybe the sound it made as these two insignificant pieces of coin dropped into the bucket and made the tiniest little ping. The two coins that she drops in would, have, would be less than what we would consider pennies. It was the smallest coin in circulation. And so you see this comparison set up, this massive monument of wealth where this offering would be so insignificant compared to the riches of this place. And Jesus says, we need to pay attention to her. Because spiritually, what she's doing is special. And look at what he says. He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all the rest. I mean, think about what that means. Think about what he's saying. This, when he says more than all the others, this would have been a woman who, a person who always would have been described as less. She was less in everyone's eyes. Now she's more. This is, this is the upside-down nature of our faith, of our Christianity, of our God and his system. The, the guys who were the protectors, the caregivers, the shepherds, the one who would have always been described as more, he flips it around and says, yeah, these guys, beware of them. They actually are less. And this woman, this poor woman, this widow who lost everything, who, who would be less in every area of life, less in value, less important, less in beauty, less in status, less in faith, she now is described as more. She becomes more. And this is the, the, the idea that the things that we often hold up as valuable, as worthful, as precious, as a measure of importance and success, God has nothing to do with it and he calls it less. It's worthless. He says, you're, you're rich. You got all this worldly success and fame and popularity and whatever it is. It doesn't mean that you are living for God. It doesn't mean that you are contributing in the way that God wants you to contribute. And he, he, he's looking at what is, what is going on inside, what is happening in your faith. See, what made her more isn't what she had in her pockets, it's what she had in her faith. The value of a gift isn't the amount given. The value of a gift is in the cost to the giver. Say it again, the value of the gift isn't in the amount given, but the cost to the giver. See, this is what makes our faith so precious because God gave us everything. He gave us a son who didn't give us just a piece of himself. He gave everything at huge cost. And so Jesus is seeing this scenario play out, this woman, and he's saying, I identify with her because I'm about to do 
what she did on, a, on another level. See, the literal translation where it says she, she put everything that she had, it says she even put in her life. It's so strong. See, here, here's the, the principle he's trying to articulate. When the rich give, when we give in general, right? And we, let's just put ourselves in somewhere in this spectrum. When we give, what is, it, what is it costing us? And I don't just mean in terms of money. I mean in terms of what I talked about earlier, in terms of our relationships, our emotional investment into things. What is it costing us? See, when we tend to give, we give out, just like the rich folks, we give out of our surplus. It's like, I have a margin here. I, I have this much, and I'm going to give this much, and it's still maybe uncomfortable, but I still will eat. I still will travel. I still will have something left in the back, in the bank, because I'm, I'm holding back enough just in case. Maybe in relationships, right? I'm going to give you just enough of my heart, but I'm going to hold back just enough, just in case you trick me, <laughs> just in case. Like, I'm going to work on getting all the certifications and all my insurance policies in place just in case you decide to run off and leave me. And I've, that's happened to me before, and I will never let that happen again. And so we'll be friends, but only so much. Or I've been a part of churches that have just exploited me and have burned me, and they, they asked for money so much, and they just abused it. And then that pastor did this, and these leaders did that. And so now, yeah, I like what you guys are doing, but I'm going to tell you what, I'm only, I'm only in so much. Or in our jobs. My boss, you don't know what he's like, or she's like my coworkers. Everybody's just out for themselves, and so I can only give so much, and they want me staying over, or they want me doing more, but you know what? I can't, I can't get taken advantage of, not again. I, I gotta hold back a little bit so that I can protect myself in case it all goes south. But when we look at this, this, this person, this beautiful woman, this widow who says she gave her life. There was such trust and gratitude in her heart somehow before the Lord that she put everything into that symbol of materialism, corruption, because her trust was not in that offering box or that temple, it was in God. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were corrupt and they were doing all the wrong things. But we see throughout the Bible measures of faith expressed in people who just said, I, I trust God more than I trust what I see in front of me. And God is going to do something through that. You could look at Haiti and say, and, and for that, some who have experience in, with this country and know that it has more charity coming in than anywhere else in Western Hemisphere, it's the poorest in the Western Hemisphere. Billions of dollars funnel into this country every single year, and yet it doesn't change. And so here's a group coming in and saying, we're not really coming to hand out T-shirts or just hand out money. We're coming to change it from the inside out. And it is a picture of the gospel and what God does to us, through us, in us. And it's our joy and privilege to look at the work God is doing in our various spheres of life and say, how 
can I participate and not hold back? And I know this is heavy, man. Like, you're saying, Adam, what do you want me to do? You just want me to dump my whole bank account into P4H or EMA or the church? No. But I do want you to ask this question. Are you holding back? And to, look, there's so many nuances to this, and the worship team can come on up. There's so many nuances to, to this question because, look, I, I said it, it applies to your faith, to your relationships, to your job, to your money, it, all of it. See, God doesn't say, look, I just, I just want this piece of you. He says, I want all of you. I want everything. I want it all because I gave you my all. Giving this last bit of money this, for, for this woman wasn't just giving money. It was giving her life. This is what Jesus calls us to do and to find joy in it. See, that's the trick, right? Because we're, we're at Thanksgiving time and I'm saying we need to find gratitude and scarcity. We don't know what happens to this woman. We don't know where she went from there, but we believe that God highlights her encounter, her gift, her offering for a reason, and it is to teach us something. And all the implications, we can't highlight them all here, but I just want you asking yourself that question, are, are you hold, am I holding back? And then maybe the follow-up question is, where am I holding back? Because let's just assume we all are holding back. I hold back, you hold back, and I have to wrestle with this question, where am I holding back? And I want you to ask that question. Because look, living like this, holding nothing back, and, and finding joy in that, and thankfulness in that, is the goal. But I'm gonna tell you what, it's gonna be uncomfortable, like really, some of you are uncomfortable right now, even though I'm talking about this. You're already feeling like, oh, just stop. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be inconvenient because things are going to happen in your life where God is going to start poking at you and saying like, this is, where I'm, this is what I'm talking about. And you're like, no, 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 it's not a good time. <laughs> I had plans today. I'm not supposed to go do this. I can't go to Haiti for a week. Like, are you kidding me? Could you move it to another? No, it'll never be enough. There'll never be enough time, never be enough money. You won't get applause necessarily for living this way. In fact, we don't even know this woman's name. We just know that she was this poor woman and she's recorded now for eternity in scripture. Nameless symbol of faith. But Jesus sees, and he rewards us. And see, when we, start, when we stop looking at how we get ours here on this earth, when we stop living for the approval of, of mankind, the approval of friends, the approval of bosses, the approval of pastors, the, the, when we're trying to find value in 
how good we are or how good we do, when we stop trying to wrestle with that and get off of that hamster wheel and say, no, 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 this is about how does God see me and what does he want from my life? And he is asking us, will you stop holding back? And maybe for you, that's in your faith. Maybe you've never accepted the, the, the free gift of grace. You've never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins because you're holding back. You're just saying, ah, I, I see it. I know I need it, but I'm just gonna wait just a little longer. I just, there's a couple more things I need to do before I surrender my life to God. And I would say to you, stop holding back. Come to Christ now, today. Or maybe in your faith journey, maybe you are a Christian and you're holding back and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not giving my all right now. I just can't. I'm busy. I, I'm, I'm broke. I'm, I got too many kids. I got too many responsibilities. And so, yeah, Haiti, forget about going to Haiti or serving on a team here or, or, or going out and doing work in the community. I just can't. I can't. I can't. Giving money here, I can't. I just don't. I, God is saying, stop holding back. In your relationships, maybe there's a relationship that needs to end but you're holding that relationship back from God. You're saying, no, 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 this is the one area I can't, I can't have you touch. God's saying, stop holding me back. Or maybe a relationship that needs to go deeper. You're just, you've been hurt too much and you're saying, I, I can't, I can't do it. Stop holding back. At your job, with your money, with your time, God is saying, at least seek me in such a way where you are willing to give it all. And I promise you, God will. He will do more than bless you. You will be amazed at the joy that you experience, the life that you find in this kind of generous living. Let's stand together, church.